Practice Business Builder podcast is brought to you by ProFund. ProFund is changing the game and giving contractor salespeople an unfair advantage. Whether you're knocking doors for leads or running appointments with prospects, ProFund puts you in the best position to win the sale. Look, I've talked to contractor salespeople and they're describing ProFund's property report as a true differentiator that helps them gain trusted advisor status, it helps them improve upsell opportunities, and it also helps them escape the price-driven sale. So to learn more about the many ways ProFund can add value to your business, go to ProFund.net. So how many of you have ever participated in a workshop or a seminar, or maybe you read a book or watched a video that provided you with some really powerful information that you knew, if you applied it, would have a positive impact on your life or business? How many of you, having discovered this very powerful information, came to realize that you never actually did anything with it? How many of you have had this happen more than once? Why is that? Why is it that we could discover this really amazing information but never actually take action on the information we discovered. I would argue that it's because we've all been taught a big fat lie. Since the dawn of time, since we were young children, we were taught something that simply isn't true. We were taught that knowledge is equal to what? Yes, we were taught that knowledge equals power, and that's simply not true. It's not true because knowledge doesn't do anything for any of us unless we take action. The only thing that's going to give you power, the only thing that's going to help any of us get to the next level, is having the discipline to take that knowledge and convert it into action, and take those actions and convert them into habits, and it's those habits. It's the habits that will give you power. And look, I trust many of you probably already know what I'm about to share, but I'm going to share it anyway because it speaks to the heart of what I'm getting to. According to the American Society of Training and Development, Only 10% of those who have an idea achieve it. These are the people who go to a training or sit through a seminar and they basically should all over themselves. They listen to really smart people share their knowledge and they think, I really should be doing that. I really should be doing what this speaker is talking about. So to be clear, shooting on yourself only gets you there 10% of the time. Now let's say we decide to put that idea into action. We're not just sitting there thinking about it. We convert that should into a must, and we commit ourselves to making it happen. You might think the number skyrockets, but it doesn't. For those who commit to doing it, the number only jumps 25%, which means that only 25% of those who say they'll do something actually achieve it. Where the number really jumps is for those who develop a plan. The statistics tell us that those who take the time to plan how they will put that idea into action they will succeed 50% of the time. And that number jumps to 65% when those people share their plan and commit to someone else that they will do it. They may commit to their boss or to their coworker or maybe to their spouse. But if there's any sales managers or business owners listening, you need to know that the achievement success rate jumps to 95% if that person has an accountability appointment with you where they meet on a regular basis to stay focused and discuss the progress. So I'm about to tell you something right now that I've been beating around the bush to say because I know it will completely undermine my role, but please hear me when I tell you, don't spend any more money on sales training. Sales training is a complete waste of everyone's time, and it's a complete waste of your money. Seriously. 
Don't spend any more money on sales training until you figure out who's responsible for coaching the team to make sure that training sticks. I used to work for a guy that used to say that when you sit down at the breakfast table, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Think about it. The chicken didn't do anything but shit out an egg, but the pig gave his life. Spending money on sales training with the hope that it will magically fix the problem is a chicken move. And you need to have someone on the team who's committed to making that training stick. Look, studies suggest that 90% of sales training has no lasting impact on professional behavior. The data tells us that salespeople forget at least 50% of what they learned within the first five weeks, and 87% of the new skills are lost within 90 days of receiving that training. How's that for a waste of money? Who wants to guess the biggest reason why this happens? The answer is accountability. 59% of those surveyed claimed that the biggest challenge to effective sales training is accountability. This is the result of no one holding their salespeople accountable to applying the skills they learn from the training. Look, I've always said that sales is nothing more than a series of definable and repeatable steps that anybody can learn, but you need to make sure your salespeople are executing and taking action on those steps. Studies show that companies that provide quality sales coaching see a 7% greater revenue growth. Companies with dynamic sales coaching programs achieve 28% higher win rates. And failing to align your sales team around best practices and a proven sales process can result in a 10% loss in revenue. Now repeat after me. When all else fails, the sales process prevails. Well, say it with me. When all else fails, the sales process prevails. What I'm talking about here is the difference between playing checkers and playing chess. Providing sales training without accountability is playing checkers. But the really successful businesses are the ones who are playing chess and coaching their salespeople back to the process that allows their company to perform at a much higher level. How many of you have ever seen the annual cost value report put out by Remodeling Magazine? Do you know the average cost in 2022 to remove and replace a 30-square rectangular hip roof with an entry-level asphalt shingle? Go ahead. Take a guess. According to Zonda, who does the surveys, in 2022, the average cost? $31,535. That translates to $1,084.50 per square. Now, let's be clear. When Zonda surveys roofing contractors for this survey, they're not surveying the local hometown roofer. They're surveying the top 20 remodelers in the country, and those are the contractors whose everyday retail price is north of $1,000 a square. And I can tell you that they're doing it because I've seen them do it. I have one client that I work with who's up around $1,400 a square, and they're closing 50% of their leads all day, every day with GAF Timberline Shingles. Those guys aren't playing checkers by simply providing training and hoping something sticks. Those guys are playing chess with their salespeople to ensure they're executing the process. Think about an iceberg and the fact that 90% of that structure is underwater below the surface and can't be seen. How many of you are managing your salespeople by focusing only on the tip of the iceberg? How many of us hold our salespeople accountable and measure their effectiveness using metrics that are important to the business rather than holding them accountable to the steps and behaviors that support sales success. Look, we know we're focused on the tip of the iceberg if we ever tell our sales reps they need to get their numbers up. 
or if we tell them that they need to close more deals as if it was that easy. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever had your salesperson tell you that they didn't get the deal because the other bid was lower or because the other guy was going to eat the deductible? Yeah, we all raise our hands for that one, right? But here's the tip of the iceberg, and this one's on you. How many of you respond to those excuses by telling your sales rep, well, we're worth more than the other guys? Or you tell them, you got to sell the differences. How many of you have ever told your salespeople to sell the value? Okay, so here's another question then. How many of your salespeople do you think can actually tell you how to sell the value? Or better yet, how many of them can actually define what value is? Think about it. You're asking them to sell it, and I get it. But you're asking them to do something that they don't know how to do and they can't even define. Look, it's been my experience that most of us have a strong sense of what value is. I mean, we know it when we see it and we can describe how we attempt to sell it, but many of us struggle to define it in a way that's measurable. And this is bad because if salespeople can't define it, how can they be expected to sell it and use it to help justify their higher price? And what, what, what makes matters even worse is that you're the person throwing salt in their wounds by telling them they need to do something that they can't define and they obviously don't know how to do. I can honestly tell you from personal experience that there's nothing more frustrating than having your sales manager tell you to sell the value. All I wanted to do was close deals, and I would come to my sales manager to tell him I lost the deal over $2,000 and he immediately jumped into coaching role, which was always limited to those three simple words. You got to sell the value, DeRosa. I remember the countless times I'd sit there thinking to myself, rolling my eyes, douchebag. If I knew how to sell the value, I wouldn't be sitting here listening to you tell me to sell the value. You know, ironically, several years later as a new sales manager, I found myself offering that same advice to one of my salespeople. As I delivered that message, I watched his body language change and I came to learn that he had no idea what I meant. I mean, he wasn't different than many of us in the fact that he understood the need to sell the value and why it was important, but he really didn't know how to do it and he couldn't even define it. So to help my struggling salesperson, I started by defining value and then showed him how the process was designed to achieve that goal. I defined total value as being equal to the need plus the perceived value. Look, if we want our salespeople to sell the value and escape the price-driven sale, we must stop focusing on the results and stop looking beneath the surface to make sure their behavior is aligned with the sales process in a way that builds the value you want them to sell. Remember, when all else fails, the sales process prevails. So some of you might be thinking, hey, sounds great, DeRosa, but how do you do that? I mean, how do you build accountabilities into the sales process? Well, I'll tell you. I'll give you an example. So I just told you that total value is equal to the need plus the perceived value, right? Well, how many of you have ever heard your salesperson tell you they didn't get the deal because the prospect claimed they wanted to wait until spring? Or maybe they wanted to wait until the next storm so they could submit a claim. Yeah, I know this happens, but are you focused on the tip of the iceberg? Or are you attempting to look below the surface to make sure they're getting the necessary need commitment from the prospect? Look, if total value is equal to the need plus the perceived value, then isn't it critical for the prospect to recognize they have a problem and make a commitment to solving it? I mean, if we want to sell the value, 
we must start with the prospect telling us that they're committed to doing the work. Heck, you could be the very best contractor on the planet, offer the highest quality, the best experience, the best price, but is it reasonable to suggest that none of that will matter unless the customer believes they need to do the work? So if sales is nothing more than a series of definable and repeatable steps, then building a dynamic coaching model starts with looking below the surface to identify the gaps in information that helps you identify where the salesperson is falling off the process. These become the coaching opportunities. So if the sales process teaches us to use the inspection to create urgency and secure the need commitment, and the salesperson tells you that the prospect wants to wait until spring, we hold the salesperson accountable to the process by asking them if they obtained the need commitment. If they claimed they did, well, we then ask them to explain how they did it and the response they received when they asked for it. Rather than focusing on the tip of the iceberg and the results that help the company, we're now focused on the actions and the steps that are getting in the way of achieving the desired result. Another way we build accountability into the sales process is making sure the salesperson is selling the monthly payment on every proposal, every project, every time. I've had business owners tell me they want their salespeople to offer the payment, but they're not sure how many of them are actually doing it. Look, ProFund helps solve these problems because it gives the business owner complete access to every ProFund profile set by their salesperson. If the salesperson ran 10 leads last week, the owner can look at the ProFund dashboard and see if that salesperson set up a profile, if they calculated the monthly payment, if they sent the application to the prospect, and if the application was approved. Now, if and when the salesperson says they lost the deal because the price is too high, the sales coach can easily see if that salesperson offered a monthly payment in an attempt to make the project more affordable. Look, within the sales process, we also teach salespeople to obtain the company commitment, the product commitment, and in retail selling, use a trial close question to make sure the price is the only thing that could get in the way of closing the deal. The sales process provides different stages that are specifically designed to help obtain those commitments and increase the perceived value I mentioned in my definition. If used effectively, the salesperson eliminates every objection other than the price, and at the same time, they build the value needed to overcome the price objection. Remember, when all else fails, the sales process prevails. So if and when the salesperson tells you that the prospect wants to think about it or they need to get a few more bids or they raise a price objection, the sales coach who's playing chess looks below the service by asking questions to identify the missteps that might have caused those objections or they ask questions about the steps designed to help the salesperson overcome those objections. Please take it from a guy who's been working with salespeople for more than 20 years. I can tell you in all honesty that it is not uncommon for me to find highly trained salespeople who are afraid to ask for the sale and don't ask at all. Highly trained salespeople who don't follow any form of a process. It's a show up, hit them with some small talk, and then I'm going to take a look at your roof and work up some numbers type of approach. Highly trained salespeople who completely shortchange the company's story presentation and speak in platitudes that make your company sound no different and no better than the other guys. 
highly trained salespeople who ask very weak questions that are focused only on project details like shingle style, color, timing. Highly trained salespeople who rely very heavily on the shingle brand to sell their value, which completely undermines the role of the contractor and prompts the buyer to think it's all about the shingle. Highly trained salespeople who make very little effort to price condition their retail prospects, and they are very unprepared to answer any of the five to seven objections that they've been hearing every year since the first day they started selling. You know, in 2022, I did about 28 sales training seminars across the country, stood in front of approximately 4,000 contractors, and I can count on my hands the number of people who wanted to prove to me that they were prepared to answer the most common objections. And what pisses me off more than those who didn't take the initiative to learn a response is the business owner who's quick to blame the sales team by telling me that they do sales training three or four times a year. Are those business owners playing checkers? Or are they playing chess? We are competing with roofers selling at $1,400 per square, and those roofers are holding weekly accountability meetings where the sales coach is asking the team to go over their pipeline, detailing how many appointments they ran, how many they closed, and the average contract amount of those deals. After discussing the good news, they deep dive into the unclosed deals and ask for details on what happened, how were those leads left, is there an agreed-upon next step, and when will that happen? I should also mention that almost all of the top 20 remodelers are then pulling those unsold leads from their salespeople and they're handing those leads over to an inside salesperson where they know that those leads will be followed up on and there will be an attempt to convert them into revenue. And look, if any of you think that these weekly accountability meetings are an extreme form of micromanaging, I'd encourage you to think about what your leads are costing you. How many of those leads are not being closed? How many of those closed deals require a discount? This isn't micromanaging. It's simply you making sure your salespeople have the skills and are executing the steps that will give you a good return on your lead investment. And I'd also argue that your salespeople should welcome this form of micromanaging because it paves the way for them to make significantly more money. And let's be honest, if you have reps that are uncomfortable with these types of accountability meetings, it might speak to the fact that those salespeople are not committed to doing what they need to do to meet your expectations, which speaks to another reason why accountability meetings are so important, because it helps you identify whether your salespeople have a skill issue or if they have a will issue. We have some salespeople who are complacent and completely happy making $80,000 working only two to three days a week. If there's a skill issue, you coach them up and hold them accountable to doing what they said they would do to get better. But if it's a will issue, well, you need to have a manager conversation about what you and the company expects from them. If they're not willing to do what's expected, well, then you need to make a business decision. And this brings up another point, and I've got to be honest, I'm always shocked at how many sales teams have no idea what's expected of them. How many doors are they expected to knock each day? What percentage of their leads are they expected to close? What percentage of their contracts are they expected to upsell? How many referrals are they expected to get? I would bet you that more than 50% of the sales team I worked with last year had no idea what their close rates are. 
Imagine me being in a room with business owners and sales managers and asking the team to try to give me a guesstimate on the percentage of proposals that convert into contracts. It's kind of sad because I know for a fact that some of those teams really want to win, but they have no idea what the score is and they don't even know how to keep score. This is why I suggest you set big picture sales goals for the entire organization and let everyone know what's expected of them as it relates to those goals. I'd put the numbers on a wall for everyone to see because I want everyone to see that we're keeping score. I mean, doesn't everybody compete harder when there's a scoreboard? When left to our own devices, some of us are not afraid to let ourselves down, but I've never met anyone who wants to let other people down, let alone their teammates. Think about it. If you've ever played a team sport or participated in one of those team weight loss challenges, Everyone competes harder when they're keeping score and accountable to the rest of the team. And now that we're keeping score, we should also focus on building the no-excuses culture that Martin Pettigrew talks about in his book, The Roofing Machine. And I define an excuse as the reason we use to deny our personal accountability. Excuses are the reasons we use to deny our personal accountability. Okay, so I believe I've used the word accountability about 17 times over the course of this podcast, and I know that word has gotten a little bit of a bad rap. Accountability is one of those words that we hear and it makes us cringe a little, right? But it's not a bad thing, and if we're being totally honest with ourselves, we all need some form of accountability because that's what's going to increase the probability of us doing the things we must do to be successful. I've often said that accountability is one of the toughest words in the English language. People don't know how to spell it. They don't know what it means. They want it in other people, but they don't want it in themselves. Did you know that English is one of the only languages in the world that has a word for accountability? In most languages, the word responsibility is interchangeable with accountability. But that really doesn't work, does it? Accountability is keeping our commitments to people. Accountability is not responsibility. They're cousins, they're related, but they're not the same. We are responsible for things, but we are accountable to people. We are responsible for things, but we are accountable to people. Which means that if accountability is in play, then what else has to be in play too? A relationship. There's no report that's going to hold you accountable. The P&L isn't going to hold you accountable but you're going to hold me accountable and I'm going to hold you accountable. There's always a relationship. So that is what I'd encourage you to focus on. It's the relationship because that's what's going to make the difference. I'll also tell you that what you believe is the only thing that will determine whether you succeed or fail as a coach. And specifically, it's what we as leaders believe about our people. Everything we've been taught about accountability is wrong. Accountability is not a way of doing. Accountability is a way of thinking. It's how we think about our people. Accountability isn't trying to manipulate our people to do more work. Accountability is us as leaders taking the responsibility to create that place where people are inspired to be accountable, where people want to be their best. And along with belief comes action. And when you believe that accountability starts with you as a leader then you start to see and treat your people differently. You commit to the people differently, and you get a different result. 
So watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. And watch your character, it becomes your destiny. Thanks for listening, guys. This Business Builder podcast was brought to you by ProFund. Be sure to go to profund.net to learn more about how ProFund is changing the game and giving contractors an unfair advantage. Thanks for listening.